Good morning, and welcome to an October edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. Uh, we have made it to October. The Dukes are still 5-0, and still in possession of the nation's longest winning streak at 17 games. Uh, we should say tonight, we joked a little bit, a bit about this being politics-free, and then uh, the events of today, today is Monday night as we're recording this, obviously make this a little tough. Um, but we're here to talk about JMU football and hopefully make everybody have a few moments to forget about everything that's going on in the world and just enjoy something good. Uh, we did want to remind people, we got our t-shirt shop up and running. We'll start and end with a little plug for that. We have our rooting shirts in the Commonwealth's outline. We have our Lock the Damn Gate shirts in there and even some old Start Wearing Purple shirts. You look on our blo- on the blog at Jamie Sports Blog or on the Facebook page. I think that's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, we do want to say, and we really have a little mini announcement here. We're just teasing something for next week. Very excited. We have confirmed our first guest on the podcast for next week during the bye week. I think that Rob and I are both excited. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, that was that was a long one. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Sound like a real pro. Yeah. Well, except that I forgot to introduce you, but there we go. Uh, well, so, it's all right. I need no introduction. That, that's exactly right. So um, next week during the bye week, we will probably uh, we're excited to have a guest. I think you guys that are plugged into the football program are going to enjoy this one. It's not a huge, huge name yet, um, but someone that we're excited to have. And we'll probably also um, maybe talk about some other sports. We might go around some other fall sports next week. And who knows? We might even have a little uh, television production or something to talk about. But we'll yeah, cover who knows it. <laughs> Hit us up on uh, Twitter at yep. JMU Sports Blog, or you can email us at JMU Sports Blog at gmail.com. If you've got any suggestions or things you think we should talk about, we're always open to, to help. Um, yes. Some people chimed in tonight. We had some pretty fun discussion going on Twitter related to our off topic that we'll be getting to later. So um, we're, we're new at this. We're open to suggestions. Try mm-hmm. to keep the hate mail to a minimum, but um, definitely reach out. We, we appreciate it. All right. Yeah, you can let it flow as we uh, as we overlooked Professor McGonagall last week. Oh, yeah. We, we did get a few comments on that one. So <laughs> that's good. Um, as always, we're going to start with four downs from this weekend's game up in Newark, Delaware where the Dukes were victorious 20 to 10, doubling up the rival Blue Hens uh, on the road in their first road CAA game. So, Rob, if you want to take first down, take it away. Yeah, I guess guess I'm at the point after this game where we just need to admit it. Um, This is not a bad thing, but we need to face it. This is a defensive football team. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I know a lot of us have been waiting for kind of the offensive fireworks that we've gotten accustomed to the past couple of years, and I'm not sure if they're really coming, and I'm not sure if it really matters. Um, this is not just a defense that is kind of rounding the corner or you know peaking to play well in the playoffs. This is a legitimate shutdown defense, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's good enough to win games on its own when the offense isn't clicking, as it was not clicking at all uh, Saturday. And I'm sure we'll get into that throughout the course of the discussion, but. We'd mentioned last week, or I'd mentioned that I was a little bit worried to see how this team would respond when it kind of got punched in the face or on a day when things weren't going its way. And we saw that uh, Saturday. It was it was a rough rough outing uh, for the offense. Now there was wind, and you know it's a road game. It's it's Delaware. Take nothing away from them. That's an outstanding defensive football team. Sure. Um, but this was a game we really needed the defense to step up and and essentially shut down Delaware, and they did. Um, I think they held them scoreless for what, like the last 42 minutes or something like that. I mean, yeah. 
it was Another... absolutely just just lockdown defense, and that's what it is. This every team has an identity. Uh, this year, this year it's definitely kind of old school knock up, knock down, drag out defensive football, and, and I'm okay with that. I really like it. It's been fun watching the high scoring affairs, but it's fun to see a defensive team just take control as well. Sure, and I think you know we we talked about this a little bit before. Nobody this season has scored more than has had more than two scores against JMU's defense, and you know. If you, if you don't score more than twice against JMU, you're you're not going to win. I think the Dukes are going to be just fine. And it's a little funny when you think about like Houston, Coach Houston's history. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about him other than he came from Citadel, made them successful. Came from Lenore Ryan before that, made them successful. But he kind of walked in last year, and the big question when he started was, you know, we had gained this great offense under Withers. Was like, are we going to quit on that? And obviously last year was all about fireworks and Coach Houston didn't, you know, he didn't quit on it. But I don't know that he personally really cares whether they win 20 to 10 or 52 35, you know. No, I, I don't think, <laughs> I think most coaches would take a one nothing victory. <laughs> right. So I, I think that's a really good first down point there. Um, my second down, it's Trey Sharp. Um, it was really exciting to see him kind of bust out this weekend and you know we, we talked about it a little bit on the blog but taking nothing away from Marcus Marshall who we're still you know have high hopes for but after Cardin Johnson went down you know I think we've seen a little bit of a drop off the last couple of weeks and it was great to see Trey Sharp really like take the baton and kind of I think really I think it'd be really hard to not say that he's the number one guy going forward and you know it's especially poignant given what he's been through in the last few weeks. So I, I, for me, that was having 185 yards rushing against that Delaware defense and really kind of locking down that RB1 position is, is a big step forward, I think, for the Dukes that they hadn't quite figured out since Carden went down. Yeah, I, I think he's going to need to be the top running back. Um, Marshall, you know, plenty of talent, but he's still not it doesn't appear to be comfortable in, in mm-hmm. the zone blocking scheme coming from an option based attack. I think he's better in a secondary role. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he, he broke off some big runs and he can kind of just pick his spots and um, be relied on a little bit less. I, I think it's a little bit better for him. He's still talented. We saw ACU, you know, if he comes in as like that second option in the one, two punch, yeah, he can break them far, but I'm not sure he's really ready uh, with his grasp of the offense. That's the big thing, right? He's learning a whole new system. And it's mm-hmm. very different. I very. Mean, just to go from like, you know, a regular system to zone blocking systems, but to go from an option attack, um, he's definitely talented. I'm not worried at all about no. it eventually clicking with him. And I still think he can be a major contributor and will be a major contributor. But I think he's better suited to be that, that secondary puncher, kind of that relief guy to come in and, you know, capitalize on a fewer opportunities rather than being the every down back. Yep. So what do you think about for third down, Rob? Well, um, I'm going to with- – Andrew Ankrow, that was just the play of the game. <laughs> you know, we, we talked, or you were talking earlier, and I agree with you. You know, if you can only score one or two touchdowns, you're really not going to beat JMU. Well, you would have been able to beat him this weekend, if not for, for Andrew's play. Right. You know, the offense only had, um, what, one offensive touchdown? Mm-hmm. And then the other one came from Andrew Ankrow, which is a tremendous, tremendous heads-up play. I mean, I, I think nine times out of ten, you probably have both the receiver and the defensive player just stopping and watching that ball 
sit on the turf, but he did not break stride, picked it up, <laughs> showed quite a bit of speed for a defensive scooting guy. In. Yeah. Scooting in there. So that was awesome. It took him from, I think they were down 10-7 at the time, mm-hmm. went up 14-7 and kind of never looked back. Just when they talk about momentum changing plays, that was the one that stood out to me. And Big. the probably the most important play of the game. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and yeah, there's no, I mean, there's definitely the most important play of the game. I, I think I'll talk about the maybe second most important play. But just on that defensive note, before we finish there, um, welcome back, Brandon Herford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Had 11 I mean, tackles. Yeah. Looked like he never left. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, I think Coach Houston in the press conference, I don't know if that was today or yesterday, but, uh, you know, he kind of mentioned that, yeah, Herford had all these big numbers, but, you know, he was missing some, he missed a few reads and this, I don't know what he was saying, but it almost seemed like one of those things where a coach is trying to like tamp down expectations for the suspended player coming back. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the way um, coaches used to talk about LeVar Arrington. Right. Oh, tremendous player. A lot of times just out of position, you know. Or so it's one of those things like, guy can play, guy can play. Right, right. And uh, it was great to see him back. And uh, Raven Green, the human turnover, was back at it this week as well. He so, caused the fumble in addition to picking that off, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he also caused the fumble. But my fourth <laughs> down, I mean, Rob, the other points that we haven't talked about came from our boy, Tyler Gray. Yeah. Right? And – uh you know, we, we've had kind of a, a running joke here about whether we're being critical or praising Tyler. And, you know, he did it again. He hit a reasonably long field goal early. He missed a, sh- a shorter kick later on. But, man, when the pressure is on, that kid, you know, I mean, it was 17-10, th- under three minutes to go in the game. And I, I think the people I was watching with, we were kind of nervous that when JMU decided to kick the field goal, yeah. Just right. I mean, it was almost like we should maybe go for it here. Um, and obviously they kicked and he hit his career long 48 yarder to really seal the game. And that was just an enormous kick. So just like we've seen in the past, that kid can step up when, when needed. Yeah, it really is impressive. Like I don't want to play armchair psychologist, but you look at that kid and all you can think of, like he's just resilient as mm-hmm. hell. Like you need a certain mentality to be a kicker or, you know, a closer in the big leagues or something, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have failure, but it's how you, that, that next jump shot mentality. Yeah. And it's really impressive. Uh, you see all the time in college where kickers miss one or two things and it just becomes a disastrous game. They yep. miss three or four. You don't see that with him. It, it's really impressive. I don't know if he's just completely nonchalant <laughs> or if sometimes he can just refocus after these mistakes, but he always seems to end on the good ones. <laughs> right. It's really, really cool to watch in a pressure pack situation how the kid just elevates his game yep so with that i think that takes us through the delaware game well well, before can we talk about that broadcast oh that was a disaster (laughs) yes it was awful oh my gosh i mean like our analysis is never exactly insightful or like can't miss sort of analysis but (laughs) I can give you nothing because I couldn't see a single replay. It just went into this like pixelated thing. It looked like more like Cubert than football. It was just splotchy <laughs> and it was terrible. And like, I, I don't understand. And then you had the screen wipes. Yeah. That's what back. I understand. Right. It was, it was, they were like wiping from left to right every, yeah. like every other play or so. I mean, that was just amateur hour yeah. I, and every single replay without fail just went to this awful pixelated nonsense. Just, <laughs> Complete disaster. Yeah, it definitely got – it did a good job of getting me over whatever wistfulness I had for the NBC Sports Network deal. 
Oh my god, that's now gone, right? I, yeah. I hope we don't play another game on there. I'm, let's go back to Masson and Madison. Yeah, and then yeah. the other thing is, is like, I think one factor we might be kind of overlooking is mm-hmm. the weather. You didn't mm-hmm. really hear much about it from the commentators, but speaking of people who were there, they said the wind was a tremendous factor, not yeah. only in um, the passing game, but Tyler's miss. Yeah. And they said it was just completely so, like, like the picture quality was terrible, the replays were terrible, and you didn't know what the hell was going on. If, if it's gusting and that's shutting down the passing game, you'd think that'd be something they'd mention, but. Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't thought about that too much, but our buddies who were up there at the game mentioned after the game that, like, they couldn't wait to get out of the stadium and go warm up. Like, like, they, like apparently it was cold. You know, yeah. Legitimately, I, I, they were probably underdressed and not expecting it as well. But, yeah, I think it was cold because of the wind more than we anticipated. Yeah, I mean, that's – we don't – or we, like I'm on the team. <laughs> JMU does not win a lot of games up there. Um, I, no. I know Delaware is not – at the level that their fan base expects or wants it to be, but that's a very tough place to play. So um, I went back and forth all weekend between kind of, oh my gosh, is this a cause for concern? Does this team have major issues? Or being really, really impressed that they were able to to go on the road against a team coming off a bye for the second week in a row and, and really grind out a win when they had a lot of things not go their way. So I kind of ended the weekend on that, particularly as we saw a lot of these other games, both at the FCS and FBS levels. Oh, yeah. Um, when you saw other good teams lose me, 17 in a row, we talked on this last week. It, it's crazy. I mean, it, you have bad days. Like, <laughs> right. To open up the game with a turnover and then, you know, come back and have a fumble shortly thereafter and mm-hmm. to do just enough to stay in it and then win, it's, I'm more impressed than I am discouraged. We'll, we'll put it that way. I couldn't agree more. And, and just watching, I mean, Rocco had those guys, those kids were ready to play for Delaware. Oh, you know, every I, single play, right. the hooting I mean, and hollering, they were yeah. fired up. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that JMU is adjusting to more that's way different than last year, mm-hmm. right? It's just that every week these teams are fired up to play the number one team. Yeah. And they just, you know, hopefully they can continue to learn to match that intensity. Yeah. So besides that, Rob, did you have a particular concern? It could be, I guess, really just heading into the bye week. We'll get to Villanova next week, but... Anything in particular concern you coming out of this week? Like a lot of fans, uh, the rushing game, Trey Sharp, you know, got it going. But the first half and just seeing the struggles to, to find holes, uh, they got to figure that out. The right side of the line seemed to be having some problems. Uh, the bye week is coming at a very good time. I I, so I've too. got tremendous confidence in this coaching staff and these players. Sure. Um, I think they'll get something fixed. But they need to make some sort of adjustment. We're seeing way too often running backs just running into the backs of the offensive line or kind of shuffling their feet, waiting for a hole to develop, and it never does. And Something's got to change. I don't know if it's scheme or technique, but we've got to find a way just to, to fix the running game. Yeah. Uh, heading, into the hard, or heading into the tough part of the CAA schedule. Yeah, I can't figure it out because I keep, every week we look at the stats after the game. And, you know, Trey Sharp had 185 yards and was the CAA player of the week. Yeah. Right? But I agree with you completely that it's just not clicking. Like, you know, it's hard to complain about a game when you had over 200 yards rushing. But it's but then there's, yeah, yeah there's like entire series. Like my dad called last night. And he's like, man, Sharp had a great game. He's like, but they're going to wear that guy out. I mean, mm-hmm. at one point, that 11 play or that like 11 minute drive. Oh, 21 play drive that ended in yeah. a fumble, I think, or a yeah, but turnover on downs or yeah. Sharp had the ball a lot mm-hmm. and they were just slamming the line. And it was like no gain, no gain, eight yards, no mm-hmm. gain, no gain, eight, you know, so like 
he's getting his yards, but man, they're making him earn them. Yeah, um, he's taking a lot of punishment. What do you? He had over thirty carries. Yeah, he sure. Yeah, he had a bunch. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, what about you? You got yeah. anything you're concerned about? Yeah, I'm just concerned. I mean, look, we are excited, and and we'll get to a little game day update. But I'm I'm just concerned about fan disappointment if yeah. JMU doesn't get college game day. Right. Um, this is not. I mean, we had the chance of a lifetime a couple years ago, and none of us will ever forget that. And it was amazing. And all of us would love to see that again. But it's no, it, it means nothing to what JMU is doing as a program or a team this season, whether or not they ha- host game day again in two weeks. And uh, obviously, both of us watching the scores this weekend, you know, even we who have tried to downplay it a little bit, you know, couldn't help but look around and think this really might happen. And certainly that's exciting, but I just, no matter what happens or what we find out on early on Sunday morning, I hope that fans are ready to come out and root against Villanova in two weeks. Uh, the three big home games are still to come for the Dukes, and everything is in front of them. So game day or no game day, I just hope people don't get too down. Yeah, that, that's a good point, because it, it was tremendously fun um, during the day. <laughs> the, game, <laughs> the game itself was, was not very fun. Um, it, this, is a, this is a fun team. It's a championship caliber team. I don't know. This is not as good as last year at this point, but certainly we see the ceiling. This is a team that can, you know, compete to with Frisco can compete compete to go back to Frisco and win and all. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, game day would be awesome, but I just don't want to see everybody check out or get too bummed if it doesn't work out that way. Right. Well, and I do. I would get more excited about this team playing the game after game day because I have a feeling that Coach Houston would actually have the team practice during the week yes. leading up to game day as opposed yeah. to the last regime. Which... It's not going to be, you know, essentially a segment slash interview opportunity. That's right. For Coach Houston. Right. Um, uh, the party in the end zone I... became a party on the quad, and that was about the only thing the team did well that day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I don't see Houston actually <laughs> being too psyched about this. <laughs> I'm sure right. he'd be proud of the game day thing, but for him it's the distraction. Yeah, I think so, too. Withers, I got the impression the game was the distraction. But Right. Um, whatever. So, we, we don't need to go down there. No. Good luck to him and his Texas Te- State whatever. Armadillos, Bobcats. Yeah, yeah something. Yeah. Cat the right. Ireland kicking. <laughs> That's right. Um, one thing we've been doing the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'll kind of run through, uh, we've been touching on scores from the CAA. This week there wasn't anything – Particular of note, we've covered Elon plenty in the last couple of weeks. They won again this week, but it was a 6 nothing win, and there's not much to say about that. No, that, that's a baseball score. Right. So uh, three other notable scores from around the country this week. Uh, one that stuck out to me big time, just for the margin, was Western Carolina, who is now at 4-1, and one, just blowing out Chattanooga, 45-7. to seven. Um, That's a Chattanooga team that played Jacksonville State tough in the early first game of the year. And everybody thought would be a real competitor in the SoCon. And it's, I don't know what it, whether it says more about Western or it says more about Chattanooga, but in one, certainly two teams going in opposite directions. So that was my first one. Um, the second one is our, our friends from Frisco last year, the Youngstown State Penguins, uh, did win a big Valley game this week. They beat South Dakota State, who has, I think – their tight end is considered the number one prospect coming out of FCS this year and a potential first or second round pick in the NFL draft. But uh, South Dakota State, the team that split games with North Dakota State last year, and Youngstown beat them 19-7 this week. 
And Youngstown's only loss is a tight game to Pitt earlier in the year. So no, that was a huge win. Yeah, and, and a lot like the Delaware game that we just talked about with JMU, mm-hmm. that was just one of these grinded out things. Youngstown got it done on the ground. Um, unlike JMU, they didn't didn't need to come from behind. But that's a sneaky good team Big that time. looks poised to go back to Frisco and, well, and get some revenge. It's funny they kind of remind me. It's a little bit like um, you know Youngstown last year was a lot like JMU in '04. Yeah. Where they kind of just, you know, hung in there and snuck in the playoffs and then got on this run. And just like JMU in 05, they really believe in themselves now. And, yeah. you know, I mean, with their with co- good reason. Yes. It's a very good team. Yeah, they've earned that confidence. And so, yeah, uh, yeah they look tough. And then the last score, um, I don't know if this means anything about, we don't really want to talk about Liberty, but Liberty did lose to St. Francis of Pennsylvania 13-7 this week. This, yeah. A week or two after Liberty had won an FBS and beaten Baylor and, you know, looked pretty good again. But St. Francis also off to a hot start and coming out of the Northeast Conference, one of the real bottom feeders of the FCS level. But St. Francis has kind of been a tough team, hung around a lot the last couple of years. Um, tiny school in Laredo, Pennsylvania. And, you know, they, it's certainly one of those teams to kind of keep in the back of your mind if JMU makes the playoffs – you know, we've, we've seen in the past couple of years, that is a team that could end up at Bridgeforth at some point. So interesting to see that team who's only given up 20 points through four games, I think. So obviously something, something's going on up there in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So Rob, you want to talk a little bit about where we stand, where things actually stand on game day? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things fell JMU's way uh, this past weekend. USC, kind of kicked off the weekend with a loss. That, that was, was awesome. very helpful. <laughs> That's still the big concern. What do they got, Utah? Or they do. It? They're hosting yeah. Utah in two weeks. Um, I'd be more concerned if that game was at Utah, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think USC's loss takes a little bit of the luster off it. Um, I think if that was at Utah, with Utah being undefeated, if they win this weekend, that's a definite possibility. But that's going to be a bottom, you know, fringe top 25 type matchup. Um, mm-hmm. LSU, as an LSU fan, I, I don't really <laughs> want to get into this, but <laughs> Troy. that LSU, yeah, that LSU Auburn game, not not that big of a game anymore. No. Um, what else are we looking at there? I mean, like everything else just kind of fell apart. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, one the, thing, Utah plays Stanford this weekend, and they are an underdog against Stanford. So certainly, Stan- the Cardinal winning that game would be is probably the biggest thing that could happen to help JMU this weekend. I um, I don't want to say clinch it, but I think that might be close for sure. It'd be close. It'd be close. I mean, yeah. it's really a, it's not a great weekend. Florida State falling apart this year certainly helps. Yeah, uh, JMU. One team Duke, makes me a little nervous. Yeah, Duke lost. Yeah, one team makes me a little nervous is Georgia. Um, they're on, they're hosting Missouri that weekend, so it's not a particularly dynamic game. But obviously, the Georgia story right now, you know, they're going to be a top five team. They're sort of destroying people. They look like they're – because of the weakness of the SEC East, it looks like they're on a collision course with Alabama later in the season. And, you know, they've got their new coaching staff in there. And I think just – you know, Athens is a great place for game day to go. You know, It's a great so place for anybody to go. Anybody yeah. to go, right. So, I, you know, that's one I don't know for sure. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about South Florida, who remains undefeated and still in the top 20. I don't think South Florida – it's going to turn out people. Um, there's some FCS people talking about the fact that North Dakota State is at Youngstown State that weekend. 
Uh, certainly could be a fantastic matchup. I don't. I think it would be much more concerned if they were in Fargo. Yeah, uh, at, at the risk of sounding like a complete <laughs> jerk. Go for it. N- no, nobody wants to go to Youngstown. That's right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Try- the good people in Ohio and everything. That's not the most picturesque part of the country. And for these FCS matchups, it's really about the host school. It is historically rather than the matchup. That is a great matchup. Sure. Um, Youngstown is a great program. Youngstown does not have the sort of support. I mean, we no. were in Frisco. There's right. not a lot of fans there. You know, no. it's not the story that a Fargo is. Um, you no. know, people are like, oh, what's Fargo? Fargo was nuts for game day both awesome. times. Yeah, they earned the right because they really showed up and let let ESPN really highlight FCS football in a great way. Yeah. Jamie's the same thing. Um, you know, we're tooting our own horn here, but it's legitimate. There were like fourteen thousand people on the quad. Right. Uh, the valley this time of year is particularly beautiful. Yep. The leaves are like, so whatever. I mean, Youngstown, I know it's, we don't want to like kick a whole region while it's down sort of thing, but yeah. it it's not, it's an attractive of a, of a television type uh, market. Yeah. And, and in Youngstown, and Valley. Yeah. And Youngstown has that kind of Delaware fan base where they, they have great tradition and they have a lot of, you know, sort of alums that, that care. But as far as whether the students are plugged in, I, I don't know. Um, I, I have no idea, but right, they certainly but we, weren't there last last year. Right, they weren't in Texas um, at the end of the year last year. And for anybody, just to put a bow on this, for for anybody out there who's concerned about the quality of the matchup in terms of Villanova having a loss or anything like that, yeah. remember North Dakota State hosted Delaware State and Incarnate Word um, the two times they hosted Game Day. So this game is really about the location. Game Day is really about the host. It's the story of the host, and it's whether your campus is going to turn out and, and make a great television scene for them. And obviously we know what JMU did last time and, and we'd have high hopes that they would even surpass that this time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's a big risk for ESPN to take the show to a, to an FCS program mm-hmm. and they mitigate that risk when they go to a place like Fargo or Harrisonburg, you know, That's- huge risk with Harrisonburg, but JMU, the, the entire JMU fan base kind of blew away everybody at ESPN um, if you remember, like people, there was like thousands of people for the bus to arrive. It was awesome. You know, I, I it was, was amazing. I was trying to find a replay of the Friday show, that College Football Live, that was then Sam Ponder, but the Desmond Howard show that's on Friday. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like blown away. They'd never had a crowd like that on the Friday show. So yeah, yeah and, maybe I mean, they maybe, know what they're getting into. Maybe if given the opportunity, Youngstown would do that, but. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to continue to bash Ohio. Ohio is great. I got no problem with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, you, you get where I'm coming from. Yes. I think to paraphrase the uh, Youngstown fans back to us at the championship game last year. Eat a salad. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, um, and with that, we'll move on to our overtime or off-topic idea this week. Rob, you want to uh, bring us into this since you uh, looked over the Twitter responses? Yeah. Well, we we kind of crowdsource this and ask people what they're doing. Um, big things were around music and beer, not surprisingly. <laughs> so real quick, people did have interest in hearing our favorite Tom Petty songs. We can touch on that um, with the very sad news tonight of, of Tom Petty's passing. Um, we can get to that, but then I think we're going to go with um, our favorite bad beers. Uh, we catch a lot of flack for our, extreme IPA tastes and our very, very anti-pumpkin beer taste. Um, Todd and I are both what we'd consider to be beer nerds, but 
we're not afraid of the bad, crappy adjunct logger. So we're we're gonna dive into that tonight. Um, <laughs> with Tom Petty, like you want to go first, your favorite Tom Petty song, or ah, um, sure. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, my buddies and I were talking about this a little bit today, and one thing about Tom Petty, I you know, I don't think he's ever been in my like, you know, he's never been in the on the Mount Rushmore for me. Oh no, no. right? But he's a guy that I. Just but whenever thought, you listen, you love it. Yes. And, yeah. and I also felt like like every decade of my life and going forward, there would always be a few Tom Petty songs in every decade that would stick with you and you would still love 20 years later. Yeah. And just, you know, I, I think our buddy Dreek said, just sturdy, right? I mean, yeah. just like the definition of sort of rock and roll, maybe even Southern rock and roll at one point. And um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I mean, we came along... I certainly don't know. I was, I've never like a deep Tom Petty head in terms of going back to the earlier stuff. I know there's a lot of great early stuff. Um, but this is, this is a little bit of a, I know this won't be seen as a cool choice, but that wildflowers album came out when I was in high school and we listened to that, the hell out of that. And right. And most of the songs on that, much like probably free falling, which probably the best known Tom Petty song. Um, you know, these are songs that like, if you can learn, like for me, right, I know probably five songs on the guitar. One of them is Free Fallen, yeah. right? I mean, if you can learn like four chords, this is something you can sort of drunkenly belt out at a campfire. And for, for me, that little combo at the beginning of the Wildflower album of Wildflowers and uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance, I mean, my senior year of high school, we wore that CD out, <laughs> you know, so and I think carried over into our JMU days for sure. So for me, those are, that's kind of the, I don't know if it's, I don't know if Wildflower is my favorite song overall, but it's definitely the one that sticks with me the longest. I, I like that song a lot. Yeah. I think that's a great song. That's definitely not one of his big smashes, but that's just a terrific song mm-hmm. um, and a great album opener as well. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to go with American Girl. I, I don't know. Yes. I just, I've always loved this song. And I have a theory that like, if you're just a random cover band, that's, you know, just going to play bars on Friday and Saturday night. If you can come up with passable versions, doesn't even need to be great, just passable versions of Superstition, <laughs> uh, American yeah. Girl, you can win a crowd over. That, that's I, pretty I, much I, all it takes, right? That's all yeah. it takes. I mean, those are just, they're just two great songs. Don't overdo it. Don't try to make it your own because you're not going to live up to either. You know, you're not going to be Stevie Wonder. You're not going to be Tom Betty. But American Girl is just such a great, like, rock and roll song. Um, it's kind of uplifting. Everybody gets into it. It's one of those songs that everybody thinks they can sing along with. Uh, it just, I don't know, just makes me happy whenever I hear it. And I've, I've just always loved that song. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'll say two beers for my bad beers. I will admit um, under penalty of perjury that if, if, if forced to choose a just light domestic beer or it doesn't have to be light, if I'm going to drink water, I really want to drink water. So I'm kind of a Coors Light guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like I could drink those all day on a boat. Well, and, you can <laughs> right and not notice right yeah um but a special special shout out to uh texas's own lone star uh particular i'd love the idea that texas has its own cheap beer yeah first a, a state that has its own cheap beer is wonderful and then secondly of course i forced everyone at our tailgate in frisco last year and plan to force them again this year to drink tall boys of lone star throughout the weekend and hope to do so again this year yeah, frozen, frozen tall boys. We had tall boys slushies without even putting them in. in a, yeah, we didn't even have to put them in a cooler. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm actually gonna go on that theme. 
I'm a big if it's a if it's a cheap beer, like I'm not a big Bud Light fan. I've never liked it. Um, I drink a lot of Miller Light, but if I'm gonna drink just like a cheap beer, I want to go for like one of the regional ones. Like yes. I, I love like Natty Bo <laughs> or um, whatever, like Yingling or I, Yingling or whatever. But I'm a big Narragansett fan. Oh, you have some Rhode Island connection now. Yeah, so, I, got, yeah. I mean, it's from Rhode Island. My, my wife, her family's from Rhode Island. Um, we go up there every summer. I was there last weekend. Uh, when I'm drinking like a bad beer, I want it to be ice cold. And preferably, I want it in a tall boy can. Gansett comes in tall boy cans. Tall boy I don't Gansett. like any, the Gansett like IPA or anything. That's no. garbage. Yeah. I no. just need your crappy adjunct lager. Yes. Ice cold. Let me reach in a cooler when I'm on the beach and grab a 16 ounce can and have it. Um, but the other one, the Shandy they have, kind of oh. good. <laughs> if, yeah. if, if you spend any time in Rhode Island and you know, like the, the Dell's frozen lemonade, so they've got yeah. a Dell's lemonade Shandy. Mm-hmm. Pretty refreshing. Um, Gantz is one of those, like, it's like a New England thing, but now it's branching out. I see it in, like all the stores around here. So that's fine. It actually tastes pretty good. It's not. It's not awful. It's not like a beast light. It's not hard light, but um, but definitely more crushable than like an IPA or something like that. I don't know if I can fully believe that, but I think Gansett overall is a good choice. <laughs> no, it's, it's not bad. I mean, it's you're not going to rush out and order one with your favorite meal yep. or anything, but yep. after a game or in a tailgate, it's all right. And Jerry, we, we know you're out there yelling at us about Miller Light. Nelly, we know you're out there yelling at us about the high life, but... Oh. <laughs> we got to be honest. So, as much as we wanted to include the champagne of beers, yeah. I, I'm all right with that. Yeah, all right. And with that, I think we're about to the end. Rob, you want to take us out? Yeah, just uh, enjoy your bye week, everybody, and get ready for Villanova with or without game day. Yes, with or without. Yes. And uh, Rob will hate me saying this, but go Nats. <laughs> well, go go away. I'm hoping for another. Another losing performance. I'm actually kind of worried that it's not going to work out in my favor um, with baseball or or your football team either. They're, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to be better than a lot of people give them credit. Oh, uh, who knows? Yeah. yeah so. so, anyways, have a great week, everybody, and go Dukes. All right, see you.